Hello, and good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you are listening to this. Depending on when you're tuning in, of course. I am Andrew. I'm Matt. I'm Jacob. And this is our project. So today we are going to be discussing uh, Game of Thrones, our favorite show, and a lot of the implications that it has uh, in terms of sexuality and uh, gender powers. And the two main characters we're going to be focusing on today is Daenerys Targaryen and Cersei Lannister. So... Without further ado, we figured we would play some uh, introduction music to kickstart this this podcast and final project. Get us hyped up. <laughs> Jacob should sing along to this. What a cinematic shot of the used campus during this and had like a drone flying over as the kingdom. <laughs> that <laughs> would have labels popping out of the west for miles. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> you, know, you know, for the for the, range north. For, the, for the exit song, we need to be playing um uh, Reigns of Castamir, I think. Reigns of Castamere. What was that, Jacob? I can cry. I said I was about to say we should play Reigns of Castamere at the end and sing it. <laughs> Absolutely, we will. So, we might, without further ado, the first character we'll be talking about today, uh, Daenerys Targaryen. And we figured we'd go in sequential order of the show and, and how it relates to some of the course topics we've talked about. So Matt or Jacob, why don't you kick us off with, with your thoughts on Daenerys? Yeah, I could kick it off. Uh, well, first off, obviously in the beginning of the show, we have uh, right from the beginning, we have Daenerys uh, being forcefully wed to um, a wild, crazy leader of a people who uh, we can, obviously we're going to use curse words in the show. They, uh, fucking fight basically absolutely uh, a crazy absolutely. group of people uh but college drogo uh is the man's name and daenerys uh, is obviously forcefully wed to this man um in the beginning she really uh is not happy about it uh she doesn't really isn't feeling it maybe she's feeling like um this is not what she wanted and this is not the position that she wants to be in but as we go through the first season into a few uh, additional episodes, you see how uh, Daenerys is really trying to uh, get Khal Drogo uh, to be happy almost with her as his wife now. And she's kind of started to enjoy, um, you know, being with him. And that could be looked at from two points of view. You could look at that from the point of view of she's trying to uh, win over uh, the rest of his army of people to uh, have more power uh, in her corner when because her ultimate goal is to get it back across the sea and take King's Landing and, you know, reclaim the throne for the Targaryens. But you could also look at it as she's actually developing uh, a legitimate love interest for Khal Drogo 
and she's doing this out of passion for him as opposed to um, just doing it as a power move. So um, either one of you, if you want to jump in there and talk about why we think Daenerys is trying to put in effort with Khal Drogo, even though she was forced to uh, wed to him. Yeah, those are, you know, two fantastic points. And it kind of relates to heteropatriarchy, something we learned about in class, right? And it's those two sides of it. Does she do it because, you know, she wants to gain power or does she want to make him happy because she, you know, genuinely loves him and, and, and is grown to like her husband that she was pretty much sold and forced to marry to. But she, Daenerys knows the culture of Westeros, the, the country that she is trying to conquer, those seven kingdoms. She has an older brother. Her brother, male and older than her, obviously has claim to the throne in front of her, which begs the question, at the time when she was learning how to, you know, please her husband, and, and as the show puts it, you know, learn how to have, you know, sex with him, she still has the older brother. The older brother is still alive, and if they went to Westeros right then and there with an army, it would be her brother Viserys who gets the throne. So she has to know that to some extent, which would make you believe that it, it, I think she might have been doing this because she's she grew to like her husband. And in an, another interesting point, too, I know because we focus around the shows and, and not the books, in the books also, I think it, it kind of makes clear clearer that she, you know, genuinely starts to like and, you know, appreciate uh, her her new husband. You know, he um, she she likes interacting with him. He, he got her uh, a, a beautiful white horse, which is one of the most valued possessions among the Dothraki. So I, I think she does it because she she genuinely now likes her husband, Jacob. I kind of think it takes place before she likes him, though. Like, she has the whole conversation. She has the handmaiden who teaches her how to please a man, at least in the show, right? Not because not because Daenerys doesn't know how to do it, but she, she's learning how, how to have, make sex more comfortable for her, right? Because she's in this, in, in the initial culture of Westeros is already, you know, patriarchal. But in the, within the Dothraki, it, it's all men and then the women are kind of just there to to be fucked and, and produce more dothraki there's like not besides like the daenerys drogo marriage we don't see i don't think any any cal khaleesi marriages that are still around right the only time we meet the other khaleesis is at vice dothrak where they're all widows correct right like i mean they're in an incredibly patriarchal nomadic culture that that just you know kills rapes and pillages right she's learning how to how to please her husband to make sex more comfortable for her he's oh he he's okay with that right he enjoys that process because he also you know is getting off right but also there's that whole point that dorian makes about like about the power dynamic where like he you know he wants her to take charge right they're in they're in a um they're in a place where he he rules, right? He's the cow, right? He he controls the whole Kalasar. All of those men are his. He has all the power out there. But but when it's just him and Daenerys, it's it's a it's a power struggle and a power play, 
and he wants her to take power. I don't know if you guys remember. It's like from the first two episodes. I think she's talking about that. So I think Daenerys does actually like him because as she tries to, you know, carve out more space for herself, where whether it's, you know, forming a rapport with some of the, the blood riders who are the cows, basically like his lieutenants, right? Right. And they know her and they follow her orders and, and, and Drogo lets her, you know, issue commands and lets her stop. Like when they raid that first village and she says not to rape any of the women, uh, Drogo says, okay. Right. You know, that's how we're doing things now. We have to respect her as now, well. Now, he also said you can you can tell that that is my, uh, you know, son inside of her that is making her so fierce. So it's yeah, almost like Carl is not, um, you know, acknowledging her, you know, power and own will and desire to, you know, make this command. It is uh, instead his his son in her, you know, pregnant belly that is it that is making this command happen right he's still trying to put on himself that this he's the reason why she's been able to be this way it's not her as a strong powerful uh type of woman who's able to do this and she's gaining garnering the respect that she deserves and it's actually kind of interesting how um the rest a lot of the dothraki actually treat daenerys i feel like you know, some of them are obviously a little crazy, but some of them actually do give her a lot of respect. Um, obviously, she's with Khal Drogo, who is their uh, leader. But even after Khal Drogo's passing uh, at the end of season one, she still garners respect from some of the Dothraki. Right. Even after that, which is interesting, right? Because now that Khal has gone, you know, what, what, why do they have to do that? But it's because they actually maybe legitimately respect her position and her sentiment right that that's that's a great point because i think it was who was it Ricaro who said once once uh drogo dies like you are nothing and then there's the other group who stays with her even after call drogo dies and you know obviously dragons hatch and then and then more loyal to her but still that's a that's a great point and we're talking about genuine love for her husband who then died near the end of season one and it takes almost several more seasons for her to genuinely like another man in the show the the next guy that kind of comes into her life was zaro zohan doxos and he had said you know marry me and you can have ships you can have money and you can sail across the sea and get that throne that you want and we know at this point now that is her number one goal. Let's get me that throne. That's all, that's what she lives for. And guess what she did at this point. Important to know. Remember, she is the most. She is the strongest claim now. Right. The yeah. brother also dies season one. So and she turned down the marriage. She said she didn't marry him. Right. So what what does that tell you? That this that goes back to the point that you know, siding with the, the love side, that she actually did have a love and respect for Khal Drogo that maybe wasn't as evident during their relationship. And it kind of was. But afterwards, this is a huge step for her in terms of a long-term period of, you know, not being with anyone else, pretty much remaining abstinent as far as we know from the show uh, for a long time period. Uh, even when she's offered everything that she wants and needs at the end of the day to accomplish her goals, 
she's still refusing to marry this man because she doesn't love him. And she still has that lingering love for her late husband, who even though she was forced to marry, she actually did wind up um, having respect for him. And this kind of almost proves that in a way that, um, you know, she's refusing a guy who's literally giving her everything she needs to go and take what she wants. And, but the only problem is that she'll have to be married to him during that entire time. And she refuses to do that. You know, and, and, and that's, that's so interesting because obviously she now lives to get that thrown back and she had that opportunity and, you know, similar to in season one, what we just talked about, how she was, you know, wanted to learn how to better please her husband so that she could gain power. It was basically like, no, no, I'm not going to do this again uh, and, and succumb to the wills and wants and wishes of another guy and instead turns that down, you know, because she's, she's, she said it in later seasons, she's confident in herself. She has belief in herself. Like that's the only thing that she needs to believe in is, is her. And I think even when Zaro Zohan Doxos wanted to marry her, she's like, you know, wow, you're so not romantic. You, you Like, your proposal is just like, marry me and you can have ships. And he's like, yeah, I already did, like, the whole love thing before. So, like, isn't that kind of interesting how, like, they, they he's like, yeah, like, I'm, I don't want to, you know, marry you because and, and court you because uh, I love you. This is just like, yeah, let's just both marry each other and we can get some things that we want. In the books, it's kind of made clear that he wants to marry her because in that tradition, in... um. Uh, Jacob, help me out. What what's what what's the great city called that they are in? Karth. Karth. In the great city of Karth, the tradition is when two people marry each other, you can ask for one gift, anything you want, of the person you are marrying. And it was pretty clear that he would be asking for one of her dragons. And that's why you wanted to marry her. And Danny didn't really know that at the time, but was still, you know, smart enough to to turn down that marriage agreement. So interesting again, too, how, you know genuine love and affection just not even had you know by Zoro Zohan Doxos but the next character that comes into her life is Dario Naharis and at first it appears as if she kind of likes him right yeah she kind of has that sly little you know like this guy is different kind of vibe to him whereas the other guys because obviously Daenerys is number one, quite powerful. Uh, number two, uh, depicted as quite attractive in the show, um, and almost like a desirable woman that any man would dream of having. Right. So she obviously received a lot of male attention throughout the show from a uh, number of characters surrounding her. But this is the first guy where she was like, "Okay, uh, I'm kind of interested in you." She kind of gave those like kind of context clues off, even though she didn't come outright and say it and at first she's kind of like you know uh, a little bit stays a little bit back from him but then eventually she uh goes in for the quote-unquote kill mm -hmm. and 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 this i think goes back to the concept of uh heteropatriarchy because you you said it matt she was almost like a little bit you know unsure at first 
you know, because I think in the back of her mind, she was always worried, like, you know, if I have this man in my life, what are people going to view him as? Like, if I'm, you know, a queen and a leader, and now I have this man in my life, how does that influence that whole dynamic? And you could see, I think, before they ended up sleeping together, she had asked him, like, several times, she's like, you know, like, I'm your, you know, you're, I'm your queen, and, like, if I told you to uh, go and, you know, take an army that like across the country would you do it and he's like yeah like i'd do anything and she's like and if i told you to guard the streets like all through the night and and you know never speak to me again like would you do it? he's like yeah like you're you if you command me i do that so it's almost like she wanted just to confirmation that she still was had power authority over him before I mean, she wants to be the boss and that's why she stayed- she doesn't want her power lessening right and and that's why she kind of stayed solo for a, a lot of the periods in the show is because you know because of the, how the society is set up if she you know weds a, a man or she gets a man in her life you know is the man now going to be the powerful one and she's going to be the side character or she's going to be the the afterthought because he's the man and then the man is usually the king or the most powerful person who's leading the organization not her telling him what to do is it going to be him telling her what to do now. So she obviously wants to confirm that this guy is going along with the program is definitely um, on board with what her goal is. Mm -hmm. Right. And if he wasn't on board, she would have simply probably refused him because she has that level of self-discipline throughout the show. Yeah. She probably would have said, even though she liked him, you know what? You're not on board with the program. You know, uh, I'm not going to have any relations with you. Yeah. And, and this is almost a little bit on the fly now, too, because we see the effect that, you know, she she has on Dario Naharis. One guy that wasn't as successful at capturing uh, Daenerys' love and affection was none other than Jorah Mormont, who was with her yep. by her side no matter what and would literally do anything for her. Like, he loved her, and it's unfortunate because at the very end of the show, I think um, they had talked about she just wasn't able to provide that love back for someone who loved her so much. Is, you know, what kept Jorah around so, you know, through everything, no matter what? How did he get that love for her? And it's almost like she had, you know, you, talk about that for me. You can well, let Jacob uh, Jorah is, is spying. Right. At first, he's, he's one of Varys' informants in exchange for a royal pardon because he's ousted from the north for, for uh, selling people into slavery. And then, like, we see as Daenerys rises into a position of power and as she starts, like, treating people fairly and equitably, he kind of starts turning, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to inform on her anymore. Like, he took this, you know, she took the city with the Dothraki and then usually they would burn down everything and rape all the women. And she said, nope, we don't get to do that. We're not doing that anymore. That's not our way, right? We're done with the rape and the murder um, unless, you know, they are attacking us and we're done with the slavery in this whole continent, right, of Essos. <coughs> and, and, and I mean, she just go. she starts going through and, and liberating slaves and freeing people from captivity uh, liberating, you know, women from like sex slavery, and 
if if people don't get down with the new order, she she does to them what they did to to people they considered their property, and that I mean that turns Jura, right? He stops informing, and, and he you know he loves her. There's an argument to be made that he loves her from the beginning because she's attractive and um, young, but mm-hmm. like that you know I I think that lessens the idea that that she is doing the right thing to to an older knight who's seen many you know kings do the wrong thing and leaders do the wrong and him you know himself make the wrong decision and when so like with the ships right when she's faced with decisions that would objectively help her but would also cause her to uh give up power or maybe even agency right she has no idea if when she marries this next guy, if, if she's going to be subservient to his wishes, you know, in the, in the view of everyone else in society, because now she's married and has a husband and husbands are supposed to be more powerful. He watches her not make that choice and take the harder route to keep what she wants and to get what she wants eventually. Now, which I think inspires devotion. I, I have a question for you. And we talked about this in class a lot too. intention or, or expectations and, and, and making, you know, communicating, making your intentions clear. If, if I believe in the books, um, Jorah had made out with Daenerys at one point, okay? Uh, it didn't happen in the TV show, but it happened in the books. Now, I feel as if, and you mentioned it too, Jorah loves her, right? Jorah does love her. If Daenerys had said, listen, Jorah, I love having you by my side as, you know, my closest advisor. However, you know, in terms of having a sexual relationship together, that's never going to happen. Do you, like, does, is Jora devoted to her because of having a hope of, you know, taking their, you know, relationship to a next level and, and being able to love her, you know, fully? Or, you know, if, if Danny had said that to him, uh, where where does Jorah Mormont go? Does he does he still stay by her side and do anything for her? You don't stay by someone's side, I don't believe, for years, right, or a long time through all these travels, just because you want to uh, either wed her, have sex with her, what have you. I think that he had a legitimate uh, respect for her uh, and felt like a fulfilled because he obviously had a. Um, a rough past being ousted from the North because of selling slaves. And I think it made him feel uh, almost like he was a part of something. He was a part of a movement. He was, uh, you know, by her side and he had like a, like a great purpose uh, for himself in this new movement, which he sided with and he agreed with. Uh, Maybe he of course would want that to happen with uh, Daenerys. Maybe he would want to have relations with her. But I think if she told him that, you know, she loved having him, obviously, but did not want to be with him, I think that he still would have um, stayed. But maybe, who knows? Maybe he wouldn't have. And at the end of the day, he wasn't forming behind her back as yeah. well. And which she later found out and, you know, was very unhappy about, obviously. Well, in later seasons, we watch him stay. Like when she when she and John very obviously are like growing this attraction, he stays. He says nothing. Right. 
you know, what, what, I mean, the two of them have have sex. She starts pursuing a relationship with John, and and Jorah stays, right? You know, right. The the battle at Winterfell, the long night. He's there by her side the entire time. Mm-hmm. And that's that's after a pre-established relationship. You know something else that's kind of interesting with Jorah. Remember when Tyrion and Jorah were standing in front of Daenerys, and basically she was like, "Tyrion, what would you have me do with Jorah?" Right? Because she exiled him, and then he came back. He comes back with right. Tyrion, yeah. Right. With Tyrion, and so like I am da- the gift. Da- yes, Danny could have <laughs> easily been like if if Tyrion said, "Yeah, you should you should kill him," because you said that you would kill him if he came back. She probably just would have killed him right then and there. Like I don't think she had any mercy for for that. So and and I don't know if I'm Jora and I you know am aware that she you know could have been easily convinced to just kill me on the spot right there, even though I love her. I don't know if if I would have uh, you know been that devoted. But you know he's Jora is Jora. You know he has a he has a good heart. So that is. You know, the story in the book on Daenerys Targaryen. Now, I know Jacob has been, you know, stirring in his boots to talk about this next topic. I've been waiting. Jacob, I know Jacob always serves a Lannister, right? Lannister. (laughs) I always serve Lannister. That was Jacob's Mr. Faisal. So now, very good, very good. It's getting good. It's getting good. It is getting. Yes, it's it's the much. John Snow in person is actually almost impeccable. It it is. It's much better than your Liana Mormont. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's terrible. Yeah, not as good as my prisoner Jamie though. But no, prisoner Jamie is pretty. Yeah. Wait, you know, should we close off uh, the Daenerys uh, segment with a little impersonation? All right, we meet Jacob. You can do it with me. Wow! Oh my God! That sounds like that's we're we're gonna we're gonna get copyright because we we just (laughs) that we stole that from the show. We just played the show. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, talk about Cersei now. Yeah. So Cersei Lannister. Uh, You know, Jacob. Why don't you just introduce the the first topic that we'd like to get into? Cersei Lannister. I want to begin at the, you know, at the beginning with her, where she's married to King Robert, right? But there's a pre-established relationship between her and her brother, um, Jamie, and it's a sexual relationship. Her children are believed to be Roberts, but they're actually Jamie's. And there's this, there's this issue of want of of killing the previous hand of the king. The hand of the king is basically like the vice president of the of, of Westeros, right? They killed him because he knew. They pushed a little boy, uh, Bran Stark, out of a window because he saw them having sex. And then um, there's there's the beginning, the issue at the beginning where why is she really having sex with her brother? Is it because she loves her brother or because she wants him to stay, right? Initially, we have when Jamie was choosing between staying in the capital with Cersei and going back to their um, family home to inherit the, uh, the land that he chooses to stay and have sex with Cersei despite the vows he took of celibacy to stay in the capital, right, and be a Kingsguard. Um, and basically that initial issue of is it a power move, right? She, doesn't, she, was, she came to the capital to marry a Targaryen prince, 
the Targaryens were murdered in a rebellion by the Baratheons, who then took the throne, right? And then she's forced to to wed the Baratheon, Robert Baratheon, who becomes king. Um, and is there is there an element of keeping her power and in, in in sexual you know freedom and liberty in, in not sleeping with the drunken adulterer that Robert has become, and instead choosing her partner? And and remember when that you know great points. She was talking with uh, was it the the Septa who had been you know I don't know if, if if Matthew has has gotten to this part yet but Cersei was having a conversation in a later season and she had revealed to someone she says I like fucking my brother because it feels good like I like that's six ten uh, right exactly so you know I like having you know not telling people about fucking my brother because I want to protect my children from hypocrites right so she cares so much about her children and Jamie kind of alluded it too when he was having uh you know a conversation with Edmure Tully he said you know you know Cersei and Catelyn Stark have a lot of similarities because of how much they care for their children so yes Jacob she initially gets Jamie to stay in King's Landing you know because of that night they had you know, had sex, and then Jamie was like, okay, now I'm going to stay here. And now she, talk about power, right, that she exudes over someone. Jamie's entire life revolves around Cersei now. Jamie is probably the, one of the most powerful people from one of the most powerful houses in the entire Seven Kingdoms. It's Jamie Lannister, and it's almost like she has him wrapped around her finger, and, and, and she can do, you know, tell him to do anything and he would do it. it it seems like cersei has a lot of people wrapped around her finger somehow uh and i i think that uh she's just a master almost a master manipulator and she's that character in the show that the audience is supposed to uh have a distaste for i think she's the character who you look at and you're like she's the conniving you know crazy you know, person who will do anything to get what she wants, even if it's completely uh, unethical. And obviously there's many, you know, in today's standards, there's many unethical things that take place in this show. But Cersei is definitely that character who um, exudes that power to, you know, manipulate people. And she knows exactly when to slip in and, you know, uh, have relations with a certain individual and then have that person, you know, like you said, wrapped around her finger. Now she controls them and she has, you know, almost has dirt on that person so that they can't reveal certain things that they may know because she has a lot of secrets floating around as well. Right. So she doesn't want everyone knowing her business. So she finds a way. Uh, and sometimes that's through, you know, sec sexual power to get over on some of these people so that they don't, uh, you know, wind up sharing information that could be jeopardizing to her future. Think about how many actions that both Cersei and Jamie do that could have easily been caught and and just kind of blown everything up right Jamie they, because of they how walked the edge. they walked they yeah. walked they walked that ledge yes because of the power that Cersei has over Jamie Jamie pushes Bran out of a tower do you know how stupid that is it's like you know the Starks are such a prominent house you know that they could have been what if what if Bran you know 
revealed it or or remembered right away and said, oh yeah, I was pushed out by Jamie Lannister. You know, Catelyn found a long blonde hair in the tower that, um, you know, Bran was pushed out of. They, Jamie and Cersei, you know, plotted to have Jon Aaron killed because they, he might've been sniffing around too much about their sexual relations. And she throws, basically gets Ned Stark thrown in a cell because he was sniffing around too much. You know, could you imagine if King, and she killed King Robert because of it too. You know, it's not very direct, but it's pretty clear that she tells. He got him so drunk that he couldn't, he didn't know what he was doing. Right. She sends him out hunting. Next thing you know, he gets attacked by a wild animal and now he's dying. Right. And he he didn't even have time to really, you know, sort out, you know, any issues with his, you know, succession plan. He kind of just, you know, did it with Ned in a little sit down and then that was it. And right. And he was gone. You know, we love playing these what if analysis, right? Ned had told Cersei, he said, listen, when Robert comes back from the hunt, I'm going to tell him that I know your children are illegitimate and that you are sleeping with your brother and I will give you, you know, a few days to get as far away as possible because Robert will try and hunt you down and kill. He had mercy, right? We Vera said it, your mercy killed the king, right? He told Cersei, he said, I am going to tell on you. And then could you imagine? And then Cersei basically tells Cousin Lancel, like, get him so drunk so that, like, a boar could kill him. What if Robert just, like, didn't die, you know, in the woods? Like, what if what if he made it through the hunt perfectly fine? He got a great boar. They had a great feast. And then Ned told him. What if Ned never told Cersei to begin with? What if he just no, went Cersei, those kids are dying. to Robert? Yeah. I mean, Robert was willing to hunt down 13-year-old Daenerys in the books and and uh, kill her with whatever Varys could get. Like, he didn't care what the means were, just kill her, yep. right? Every Targaryen. A bold him. man with a dagger, he had said to, to Ned while they're ate, eating chocolate-covered strawberries uh, on the way down to King's Landing. <laughs> <laughs> so to go back to the original point uh, of the entire you know question is why is Cersei having sexual relations with Jaime? Is it out of pure love for Jaime? Is it out of control for Jamie or is it out of power that she wants to claim herself? I think it's a combination between wanting power for herself and also the Tywin way of thinking, which is family over everything. I think she knows that if her children, which would become heirs to the throne, were pure Lannisters, you know, they that that is great for their house. I think that, you know having, you know, sexual relations with her brother behind the most powerful person in the Seven Kingdoms, King Robert, you know, gives her uh, some sense of having power, right? Because she's basically defying the most powerful person there is and having, you know, sex with her brother behind his back. And then I think it kind of, I don't know if they... Jamie always loved her, I think. I don't know if she loved Jamie the way that Jamie loved her. Probably not until, you know, we get to the very end of the show, which I won't give away. But we do see when Jamie comes back from being prisoner for a year and is is comes back with one less hand than he started with, she's just mad at him at first. She's like, you were gone. And Jamie's like, I was a prisoner and I literally, I killed my cousin 
I killed so many people. I was beaten. I had my hand chopped off just to get back to you. And and then she she's like, oh, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, I I'm, made you I'm, this hand. I'm mad at you. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of interesting too to see, and this goes to the power. She has so, it's, it's, I don't think it's necessarily a lot of love towards Jamie. It's just, I know that I have power and I can do things for myself and for my children because of the things that Jamie is willing to do for me. So ultimately she's loyal to Lannister. She's, she wants the Lannister name being carried forward. Her actions that she's playing out uh, are uh, in order to keep the Lannisters at the top, not only in being the wealthiest family in the society, but also being directly involved with the leadership of the society and the, and the kingship. Um, yes. But we can also talk about uh, how she was having relations not only with Jamie, her brother, mm. but she was also having relations with her cousin, uh, presumably a younger cousin. Yes. Uh, what, do we, what do we think about that? That, that must have just been completely to for her for her own benefit right i'm gonna have sex with my cousin in order to get information for myself uh in order to you know get the king killed basically have another pawn at her disposal i think she looks at life very similar to her father which is again let's do everything for the family name and we use other people as pawns in order to get what we want i think having sex with her cousin was a hundred percent just to get things that she wants. Jacob, I know you want to say something. I think it's about solidifying power, right? She's have, she's sleeping with, with other men who all have prominent positions, right? Lancel has direct access to the King because he's the King's squire. Jamie's in the King's guard. And even though everyone hates him because he's the King slayer, right? He does command respect. And he doesn't have access to things that Cersei on her own, just as, you know, the queen and, and mother of the heirs. And then, of course, when Robert dies, you know, the queen regent and, and mother of the uh, king, right? Like, she doesn't hold that much power personally outside of the men who already serve House Lannister, right? So I think, I think a lot of the motivation for her uh, is she has very little means of of gaining power because her father is Tywin Lannister. He's the most powerful man in the country when Robert dies, right? And he he dictates what his children do. They don't always follow it to the letter, but but he says and they and they do, right? For the most part, um, and so, and so there's something to be said for the fact that she's she's gathering a, a network of supporters or people loyal to her. Right, because eventually Cersei takes the throne. Right, her children are dead. R- the, the king Robert is dead. Right, there's no more Baratheons because Renly's died, Stannis has died. Right, the bastards have all been killed. It's just Cersei. Right, so so right. Cersei. I mean, she has to to gain power. She has to build, and I get the show doesn't want us to enjoy the process of Cersei gaining power. Right, right. You're supposed to not like Cersei. She's right. Tyrion says it. Cersei is vile, except when you know her only redeeming quality is that she loves her children and maybe her cheekbones. Right? That's that's Tyrion's <laughs> quote. 
Right. You know, those are her best features. Right. So like, I mean, you're, we're not, I mean, you're supposed to respect the fact that Cersei does build up a network almost entirely on her own, right? Her father just uses her as someone to sell to other families, right? We'll marry you to the Tyrells, the Martells, whoever, it doesn't matter, right? We'll, we'll build up whatever alliance through marrying you into that family right? and you'll have kids, you know, who cares? So, but, but sir, I mean, yeah. I think she, yeah, she uses sex almost, you know, like you were saying, I, I think she uses it and views it as a way to gain power and leverage. And one thing, again, I, I, I kind of keep going back to a little bit. Remember when Jamie was talking with Catelyn and he says, you know, I've never been with anyone but Cersei. So in a way, I have more honor than poor old dead Ned. Right? So Jamie is like so loyal to Cersei and I think just has a genuine love for her. And and we just don't see it the same way back. Yeah, it's uh, interesting comparing, like, yeah, it, it's it's good. It's interesting comparing Cersei and uh, Daenerys's way of claiming power. Like, whereas Cersei uh, is in King's Landing, uh, and she has to use more of these crazy, almost like a puzzle that she's putting together to carve her way to the throne. Whereas Daenerys is basically just simply trying to build uh, an army uh, and take the throne. Right. That is her transition throughout the first five seasons of the show. She's trying to uh, build her way up to power, gain all the loyal supporters she needs, be at, stick to her morals and her values as much as humanly possible, and then get to the throne. Whereas Cersei is kind of this like almost like a, you know, like a slippery like snake and she's trying to weave her way through King's Landing through all the important people and figure out where she needs to place herself in different places and it's interesting to watch that dynamic as the show goes on because you both you know what they both want I mean Daenerys makes it much more clear and she keeps talking about her goal again and again but Cersei is obviously a little bit more you know uh reserved about saying that but she you know just in this they want the same thing but attack it in two completely different ways but you know at the end of the day both use uh use sex as um a force and obviously they you know both maybe experience love as well but they're both using that and it's interesting to see the dynamic between the two of them absolutely yeah um i mean i i in terms of cersei I think I think we've really covered her, you know, the entire, you know, theme regarding usage of power and sex and, you know, even the culture of, of Westeros where it's extremely, you know, patriarchal. And, you know, just to wrap it up with one last course concept, right? She is so pissed at Tyrion. They had a conversation and she said you know, you killing our father opened us up for attack because as much as power as Cersei tries to get for herself, I feel like at the end of the day, she still realizes that the most powerful man in her family was Tywin Lannister and that even no matter how much power she could gain for herself, she knew that just the power that her, her dad had because of the patriarchal society that they were in you know, really completely blew everything up for their family 
when Tywin Lannister was killed by Tyrion. Tyrion, put down the crossbow. Down the crossbow. <laughs> so, to wrap it up, do we have any concluding thoughts? We covered a lot today. We talked first with, uh, you know, about Daenerys Targaryen and basically the men that came into her life and, you know, how the heteropatriarchal society, uh, what effect that had on her and her trying to get power for herself and then we moved on to Cersei Lannister and about how she uses sex. Is it for love? Is it for power? You know, I think we covered uh, a lot of great topics today. Yeah, I think that uh, both characters, like I said earlier, in their own right, um, use different angles to get what they wanted in the show. And I think that they're both very different. Uh, they're completely different individuals. Um, but uh, they, at the end of the day, want the same thing. So it's interesting to see the paths, like I said, that they take um, uh, throughout the show to get what they want ultimately. Absolutely. Jacob? I would say that both of them utilize sex, not, you know, not even because that's preferable because it's necessary. You know, they, I, I think Cersei at some point or might even be Daenerys. I don't remember the quote exactly. Like references that, it's, you know, they, they're using what they have and what they can leverage because the society, I mean, when Daenerys crosses over to Westeros, everyone considers her, they call her a foreign whore, right? It's a xenophobic culture already. And they also don't like powerful women, right? Like, there's, I mean, there's really not much for them to use, right? So, you know, I, I find them both to be successful at it. There are definitely other characters that use it. Like, you know, we don't talk about Melisandre at all, but that I think that's a great example of, of when a king and, and a powerful woman kind of, you know, speak and how, the, how their men think about it, right? Like, a Daenerys and Cersei don't really have some male figure next to them that they think is swayed entirely by their words and making bad choices. Like, you know, I mean, until John with Daenerys, right? Where his whole family is like, what are you doing? John, what? Hello? <laughs> you know? And, yeah. So, and, and, yeah. And poor Sansa yeah. as well. I felt throughout the entirety of the show, mm. just bad experience after bad experience after bad experience for her. Um, she kind of just is like the, um, you know, in terms of she plays that, you know, role that, you know, you just don't want to play in, in a in a society like this. She's just kind of thrown around from place to place to place with, you know, different people and, you know, subject to, you know, basically just never has a word of her own throughout the entirety of the show, which is kind of upsetting. Like, I feel like a lot of the key women in the show have their opportunity to, um, you know, show their power and, you know, assert their dominance and actually get listens to, whereas Sansa is kind of, you know, uh, just being thrown around from place to place and almost doing everything that for her house, for her name, right? Mm -hmm. She's trying to be respectful for that. And uh, at some point, I think she just, you know, mentally just gives up. She's uh, has a tough go at it. For sure. uh, absolutely. We did promise the folks at home a final sign-off song and maybe a little sing-along too. And Jacob, I know, has been looking forward to sing this song for quite some time. Yeah, at least 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and who 
are you? Who are you? <laughs> I must bow, I must so, bow low. so low. Only a cat. Only a cat. Of a different coat. That's all the truth I know. Coat of gold, a coat of red, a lion still has claws. Mine are long and sharp, my lord, as long and sharp as yours. And so he spoke, and so Lord of Castamere. But now the rains weep over his wall, and not a soul to hear. What a what a great. Unbelievable. What, a, what a great way to to conclude this episode <laughs> so yep professor elif we, we hope you like classmates who may have listened thank you for tuning in and uh you know tune in to kings in the northeast, kings uh, in the northeast. feel free to listen to all the other episodes as well <laughs> all right they're all going to follow us on Instagram. Yeah. At Kings in the Northeast. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're signing off now. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.